in tune. I just realized the mic wasn't turned on the whole time. You know, they are far more in tune, indeed, with the Pharisees, aren't they? That in fact, they are like the Pharisees in thinking that because they've done certain things for God, that God owes them. It's because they think the source comes from within themselves. They think it's the, 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 the power from man that is most important. Now, when we read the scriptures and what God has to say to us, all throughout, from old to new, the teaching is very opposite to that. It tells us that man has no power to resurrect himself. It tells us that man has no ability to bring themselves to a right standing with God. It tells us that mankind has not the power within to make themselves spiritually alive, when in fact their natural position, Ephesians 2, is that they're spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins against God Almighty. Such is the desperate condition of humankind that apart from God and Him interceding in His divine might, every single one of us would continue spiritually dead, separated from Him, not able to come to this right standing to Him. We might be able to fake worship to God, as the Pharisees and those who are self-righteous do today. They can go through the actions. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They cannot bring themselves to true-hearted love for this God. They might love, like I mentioned before, a God of their own choosing, but they will not be able to love the holy and true and living God as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. They might be able to do certain things because they expect God will owe them, but to freely give all to God for the very sake of worship with no return in their eyes, that is something they cannot do. To put God above all else, to to do things for Him as the greatest joy, they cannot do that. Because such spiritual life is not within the power of mankind to generate. That's what we read at the beginning of church, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Verse 4, God in Christ, with Christ, has made you alive with Christ. You see, the emphasis all throughout the Scriptures is put upon God and His great power, His great love, His great mercy. It is God who must save, essentially, is what we are saying. And then we must say, well, what is it that motivates God to save? Right? We might say, okay, it is God who saves, but if we can then conceive of, you know, I've done something and therefore God has to save me, He's obligated to save me, well, we're back to square one, aren't we? That God is dependent on man. You better do certain things and then God must owe you. He must save you. Well, we must answer this question clearly. What is it that motivates God? Well, why did God bless the Israelites? Well, clearly, the answer given there is that it's not because the Israelites deserved it, and it's not because we deserved it. There's a very important passage in Deuteronomy where God, through Moses, reminds the Israelites, did I choose you because you were a great nation in the earth and you were better than everybody else? He says, think about your ancestry. I chose you because you were the weakest nation, and there was nothing about you that was, that was exemplary, that was wonderful. You were not powerful. You were not rich. You were slaves in Egypt for a time, for a long time. But God says, I chose you out of my own free will, essentially, out of the counsel of my own purpose. Why did God make alive? Why did God choose this people? Why does God save anybody? And the Bible gives us a simple answer in Psalm 
Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It is from the free counsel of God himself. Why does God save? It's not because he's obligated, but because he has chosen to freely. There's nobody twisting his arm. Why has he lavished his love upon an unworthy race such as humans are? Because he wanted to. Because he has decided to overflow his grace and his love towards us. And therefore, again, we come back to this declaration that true spiritual life comes from God only. He must save. He must bring us to himself. He must open our eyes even to see our desperate condition. Because, you know, the the fact of the matter is we are so separated from God and so used to our darkness, we don't even know it's darkness. It's comfortable to us. Just like you might, you know, uh, if you you, uh, sit in a dark room, your eyes get pretty adapted to the dark. So that when somebody flitches on the light, they turn on the light switch. Your eyes take a while to, to adjust to it because you've been so used to seeing in the dark. And that's how we are. We're so used to being away from God. We don't even know that we're spiritually dead and separated from Him. But it is God who must make us alive. And especially we see this when we come to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus come because they, we were worthy? We, we deserved Him coming to save us? Or did God not send him freely out of his love to us? Freely out of his grace and mercy. And we see in Christ, God has done everything necessary in order for a guilty race to be reconciled to him. All of our sins that stood between us and God, it was Christ's soul day at the cross. And so even in this uh, aspect of God having to deal with what separates us from him, we don't add one sin to it. We don't, add, we don't, we don't uh, come and add our part to make it possible. It was God who did all. And that, you know, some theologians might call, that's redemption accomplished. That's God doing what is necessary to bring us to Him. But there's a second part there, isn't it? We also need to have this personal connection with this redemption that God has given. And that He does by sending His Holy Spirit into our hearts to give to us faith in the Savior. So really, you see, from start to finish, it is God's work. He is the one who must make us alive. He is the one who must bring us to Christ the Son. He is the one who even gives to us repentance and faith. All of it comes from Him. And then when you look into the Christian life, this is how a person comes to salvation. Well, what does it mean for the rest of the, the life of a Christian? Do they then go on in their own strength? We see, of course, that's not true at all. As they started by the grace of God, They must continue and end by the grace of God. Now this here is what this passage shows us clearly. David, he knows that the source of all of this spiritual high point of the people of Israel, it comes from God. We must understand very clearly that God is the source of every blessing, every true spiritual blessing. He is the source of true spiritual life. We are unable to generate it from within ourselves. And just like that terrible example I gave you at the beginning, if we misjudge the source, we're going to be going to the wrong thing to receive and to grow in our spiritual life, in spiritual grace and power. And so the third point I wanted to finish on is what does this then mean? Well, we learn from this passage very clearly that the natural response is thanksgiving. If God is the source of all true life, And he gives this life to his people. He applies it to them. He sends his Holy Spirit into their hearts to bring them out of darkness into his kingdom of light. 
Who deserves all the thanks and adoration? Who deserves all the praise and attention? It's God himself. Do the people who who are saved, do they deserve 1% of the praise? No, because they did not contribute even 1% to their being made live to God. You see, because God has done it all, God deserves all the glory. God deserves all the praise, and he receives all the credit. Otherwise, he would have to share his glory with us. And that is not nearly worthy of us as created beings so guilty in our sin against God. He does not share his glory with us, not in the sense that we deserve the credit, but he shares his glory in the sense that we get to enjoy the fullness of his glory. We get to stand with him face to face. So we see here that David thanks God, and that's the right response for us. If you are a believer today, your lot in the rest of your life is to joyfully thank him and to simply rejoice in all that God has done for you. It's like us basically coming to a free dinner every single day. He cooks the food. He gives it to us freely. All we have to do is sit and eat. That's a lifestyle I can get used to. That's the grace that God gives to us as his people. He gives us the bread from heaven, Christ himself. We simply receive and live upon him. What a wonderful joy that is to live the rest of our life in grateful thanksgiving. But we also see from David, verse 18, that David understands he must continue in prayer and dependence upon God. Read verse 18 with me. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. You see, David, he's not falling into a common trap, a very common trap. He sees the people of Israel now wonderful. We're in a spiritual highlight. We're worshiping God from the bottom of our hearts. And the common trap for people is, I've been spiritually blessed and upheld by God, and so I will presume upon this mercy and just expect this to go on day after day. They presume upon His grace rather than living day to day dependent upon God in prayer and in, in seeking Him daily. David does not fall into that trap. He does not say to himself, today we are blessed, tomorrow we shall be blessed the same, and all all on, we don't need to do anything. Not at all. Because he understands we must come and receive this blessing from God's hand, that means we must be constantly in prayer and dependence upon him. We cannot stop coming to God. Just like I gave you that example of eating daily for free. You might say, today I'm so full, tomorrow I don't need to eat anymore. Or maybe the feast was so good that tomorrow you don't need to eat. But how about a week later? How about a month later? Can you say, I have so received so much nutrients from this meal, I don't need to eat for another year? No. Clearly, that teaches us, the daily bread element of our living teaches us we must daily come and eat. And David understands, look, God graciously giving us all this blessing. We must daily seek him and depend upon him. We must daily pray and, and, and submit ourselves to his help. We need to throw ourselves upon him all the while. We need to be praying that, Lord, in the future, that you direct our hearts toward you. Now, that is something we must take note of also. All of us as God's church, we know a great measure of God's blessing, don't we? If we've known any at all, having our hearts changed, being being rescued from love for sin. Instead, now we love God. We're coming to worship Him from the bottom of our hearts. We must be careful not to presume 
that things will go on. No, we must in fact grow in our prayer, in our dependence, in our resting on God alone day by day. And really that's a word that I, that's what I think of when I think of West Church. We've known so much of God's blessing, so much of God's guidance over the last five years being constituted as a church, so much wonderful joy and fellowship and love, so much unity, people joining us. We know much of God's blessing, but we as a church and all of God's people everywhere must not get comfortable, must not become presumptuous upon God. In fact, I think we should think of it this way. Since God has already blessed us and answered our prayers in so many wonderful ways, doesn't all of that encourage our faith to keep asking Him for more and more and more? That should, that should be what our prayers look like. Lord, you've answered us so many different ways. We've got more requests. We know you can do more than we ask or imagine. Please grant to us more of your grace and power. That is how we must be. That is what David shows us in his example, verse 18. Lord, keep forever such purposes in the hearts of your people. And so we also, because we understand this truth, if we do indeed are convinced of it, we must constantly be growing in our prayer, in our dependence upon God. And if you allow me a final word to all of you here, maybe you're invited by family or friends, you're not yet a Christian. You think, what does all of this have to do with me? I just want to give one final word to you. The Bible tells us that it is God alone who can make alive. It is God alone who can bring somebody out of darkness into true eternal life, into a true relationship with Him. And if you are not trusting in Christ yet this morning, you have not yet entered into the joy of that wonderful relationship with God, Really, the word to you is quite urgent. You must see God now and ask Him for mercy. If you, you know, as many people do today, when you ask them, you know, do you think knowing God is important? They might say, yeah, I do think it's important. Well, what are you doing about it? They might say, well, I'm busy today. I've got things to do. I've got fishing to do on Sunday. I've got sleepings to have in the morning. I'll, I'll do it later when I'm older. I'll, I'll seek God five years from now when I finish my goals with my career and with my family. All such thinking presumes that it is within the power of the individual to turn to God whenever they want. But you see why this is so urgent. God himself is telling you in the Bible that he has given that you cannot turn to him whenever you want, that he alone can open your heart and bring you to a right relationship with him. Well, if that is the case, do you not see the urgency it's, it's all well and good for you to say to yourself, five years from now, I'll turn to God. You'll be unable to. You'll be unable to. You have not the power to bring yourself to God. What you are like, really, all of us are like, apart from the grace of God, is we're like patients with a terminal illness. There's only one surgeon skilled enough to save us from this terminal illness, this terrible tumor in our brain. There's only one neurosurgeon in all this world, maybe living there in America, who has this practice, who charges millions per hour because he's the only man in the world who can do this surgery to save you. And if you knew this fact, would you not be on that plane to America, banging on his door saying, please slot me in to your next surgery appointment? Because if you do not save me, I'm dead. That is how you must understand this reality. You and all of us are terminally ill with this terrible problem of sin. Rather than us thinking, I'll turn to God whenever I want, we need to be understanding. I must seek Him now while I still have the chance. 
I must draw near to him and say, Lord, you must save me. Open my heart to you. Now, while we have the chance, he alone can take away this terrible terminal tumor of sin. And so rather than us being relaxed and, and assuming that all things come from us, understanding this truth, I would plead with you, should give you urgency above everything else that calls for your urgent attention in your life. You must see God. He must do a work in you. Otherwise, you are lost. Really, I feel I must say that to you. If you are not yet a believer, this is the most urgent thing that you can pay attention to, and you must pay attention to it. So that's what we learn from First Chronicles 29. Let's pray now and ask for the Lord's blessing on all these things. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you for the things you are teaching us here in your word. Lord, we pray that you would help all of us to see that you are the source of all life. You're the source of all blessing. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to come near to you and draw near to you. That you would help us to throw ourselves entirely, the whole weight of our souls, upon you only. Help us to despair of ourselves and our power. We're so pathetic, Lord, we can't keep even our own resolutions. We need you to rescue us. We need you to bring us out of darkness into light. We pray, Lord, that you would turn our faith upon you, helping us to seek you day by day. And Lord, we pray for all of those here this morning, especially those who do not yet know you. Help them to see the urgency and how critical their condition is, that they must seek you now while they have the chance. We pray that you would answer them in your gracious love, that you would rescue them to yourself. And we pray for all of us that you have rescued. Lord, would you continue to keep these thoughts in our hearts? Help us to always worship you um, from the bottom of our hearts. Help us to be always depending upon you, growing in our prayers to you. Help us to walk in your ways. We need your help to do this. All things come from your hands. And Lord, ultimately, we give all of our thanks and praise to you. You alone deserve all the glory. And we know that your people delight to uh, adore you and to worship you. So please, Lord, receive all the glory. Receive all of our thanks and bless us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.